0: Barheads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather together as family. Thank you for allowing us to break bread, the very bread of life, to fellowship with you in this unique way. Father, thank you for giving us your son and his spirit to empower us, to teach us along the way. Thank you for sanctifying us as you've promised, and thank you for assuring us of our Eternal salvation. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill, that can't be with us this evening. We pray for those still lost, that before it's too late, they might be evangelized, humbled, repent, and be given saving faith. Father, what a wonderful gift that is! What a miracle that is! All upon the shoulders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who we are most grateful and thankful for. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, deceitfulness of sin. Uh, don't forget that the emphasis in the series, 39 parts, I can't even believe it. It's getting rarefied territory now in the annals of our uh, history here at North Christian Church and even the church church the church names before, uh, if something goes 39 parts, it, um, it obviously uh, is something that the Spirit wants us to pay a lot of attention to, and there's just a lot of nuances, and I think that's how I'm going to begin uh, this evening. It was something that came out on Tuesday as well. Scott had shared that it was something on his heart for a while. I think um, a lot of times, if you take what's being taught specifically from this pulpit, out of context, Um, you lose the angle and you misinterpret what the Spirit's trying to teach. Um, So at the start of Tuesday's class, we were given this sort of friendly reminder, and I'm I'm sort of um, using it or reusing it here this evening, the deceitfulness of sin. we are largely on the lookout for subtleties can't express that enough um, regardless of the topic or angle the Spirit has us focusing on. For example, self-deception, gratitude, partiality, idolatry, worship, and music, etc., etc. In other words, we get so taught, uh, we get so um, close to the fire that we have to be very careful that we don't burn up Perish, (laughs) and that our spirit is crushed. Um, There's just some times where I just have to get so very focused on a certain subject, and and the the emphasis is very strong in that moment. Don't take things out of context. Just remember that we're really deep sometimes, and if it's a really hard message, uh, it's on that. It's on a pinpoint. It's on a specific issue. Okay. So that's what um, the Spirit's been trying to say now uh, the past few days. We are largely on the lookout for subtleties. doesn't mean that I'm not teaching huge topics. The gospel reload, the deceitfulness of sin, these are not subtleties. These are huge things. But in order to discover the way that the deceitfulness of sin, per se, exists in your life, there are nuances. There are little subtleties. Because that's where deceitfulness hides. It's in the shadows. It's, it's deceitful because it's not in front of you. It's deceitful because it's, you know, three, four, five layers buried somewhere in your soul, in some closet somewhere with all the skeletons that you don't want to talk about. And so it's dark in these areas that we go to. And when we go to those areas, because it's dark, it's ugly. And when it's ugly, it hurts. And it gets really hot and painful when we self examine ourselves, we examine ourselves uh, and find that a lot of these nuances exist in our own lives. And as people have been telling me now for months, didn't even know it was there. Been thinking about it, didn't even know it was there. But yet, all this time, it was. So, again, just know that we're looking at nuances, which is one of the, another reason why it's very difficult for people on the outside of this congregation to look in and understand what's going on. It's very easy to um, even misappropriate what's coming from this pulpit. So you have to really, really, really pay attention. Uh, and that's just the nature of this ministry. There's a variety of ministries. This particular one, like I've said before, Uh, Who knows if we're going to make it that long, but I feel like he's training, you know, a SEAL team, that there's no getting around anything uh, inside of these four walls. (laughs) No stone is left unturned. He's saying, no, we're going to flip everything over. We're going to examine everything about ourselves. Uh, Consider it a blessing. Um, Consider it a blessing. But in my notes here I say, And I have for you, do uh, learn to avoid overreactions and knee-jerk reactions. Learn to avoid those things. Some of you are new in the faith. Some of you are new in the faith, so give yourself a little grace. Um, Don't, just because you happen to be failing in a certain area, or you are, you don't even know what the heck the, the teacher's talking about in that moment. You can't relate to it yet. Give it a pass. Give it a pass. It's okay. We've all been there. Just don't get beat up and quit. Like some have. Don't do that thing. Learn to avoid overreactions and knee-jerk reactions. We are still running a marathon here. Remember that. Never take a single message out of context. My job, and I've shared this with you in the past, but it's Uh, there's good reason for me to reiterate it. My job is a lot like Paul's was, to surgically remove garbage in the soul. This is the same reason why we should never, ever hang our entire faith on one New Testament epistle. Say, the Romans, for example, the book of Romans. We should never hang our hat on one book in the Bible. People do it. Everything you need to know about this or that is in this one book. Not true. Not true at all. That's why we never do that thing. Just in a microcosm way, you should never hang your hat on one message. Always learn to step back. That's why I say, take the time. If we take the time to record these messages, put them on a website, uh, split them into audio, video Greg makes podcasts out of them, the whole nine yards. Outlines. If you're confused and you walk away a little beat up, you know what? Go back and listen to it again, or watch it again. Oh, I know that's a lot to ask. But you'd be shocked at the number of people who walk away and would rather walk away forever than actually do what I just just described. They would rather walk away depressed and spend a whole week or a whole month or a whole year depressed because they're too damn lazy to actually re-listen to a message that was tough on them, that was difficult, that they walked away a little sore from. Incredible to me. I listen to my own lessons sometimes. You imagine that? No, for real. Probably, well, I'd say once a month, which is too much because I don't want to look at myself do you know what I'm saying? But it's not too much. You know what I'm saying? If I can watch myself, and it's not for vanity reasons, trust me. I just figured out that for years, our aspect ratio has been off. I watched myself in a tube. I'm this wide. I'm like, dude, come on. Todd. My face is like this wide. I look like Bonnie Rubble. I'm like, what's going on? Scott's even worse. He's like a hydrant to start with. He's like this wide, like this big. I'm like, dude. Do us some justice here. (laughs) Uh, So it's not for humanity's sake. I learn. So if I can do it and I'm the guy standing here, all this stuff goes through, through me first, even Scott's teaching review, and I can listen to myself, then guess what? You can listen to me more than once. Anyways, we should never do that thing. Never take one a book out of the Bible and hang our hats on it. Never take one lesson or one message and hang your hat on it. Paul, like myself, was commissioned to ferret out minute details in order to refute very strategically designed false doctrines. What I have to do is very difficult. I hope you know that. It's very difficult because there are so many lies out there. It's why I'm convinced of it. I was thinking about this today. I'm convinced of it. That's why these messages are always difficult. It's it's always like I'm in a mood, right? Like, oh, here we go again. Because it's difficult. There are so many lies. You see, what I don't want to do, I was thinking, I'm like, God, why do you do that? Why do you make me be like Paul more than, say, the next person? Why Why am I constantly at these people? And this is how he responded to me. He says, because that's what I need you to do. When things go well, I want all glory to go to me. When they're happy and, they, and they're rejoicing and in, in, in they're content and they're peace, I want all of that to be attributed to me. You can take all the crap. <laughs> you can go in there, get scowled at, looked at sometimes send awful emails or voicemails or texts or whatever, you know, little snide remarks here and there. You can get all that stuff, and you can take the beat down. And I say, okay, if that's my job, so be it, because this is hard. But when it comes to all, like, the really cool stuff, God says, I'll take it for me. I want them to see me. I don't want them to be confused about, who the source of truth and grace and mercy and love actually is. It's me. You need to just clear the air for them. So Paul, if you read Paul, that's what he did all the time. People are trying to kill him all the time. I mean, he, do you remember what he said at the very end of his ministry? I'm all alone. How does Paul end up all alone? Paul, like myself, was commissioned to ferret out minute details in order to refute very strategically designed false doctrines. And I was thinking about that. On the topic of why we undergo this kind of surgery, let me see if I can illuminate it for you with an example. It's not the greatest example. Bear with me. Personally, I like to laugh. You may not know that about me because I'm always grouchy behind the pulpit. But I actually (laughs) really enjoy... um, being made to laugh, like a good joke. Uh, I'm not really into the nasty stuff anymore, uh, like I was when I was younger, but um, a good joke that can make you laugh, that's clean enough, that's kind of a thing. And I've listened to a variety of comedians over the years, and this is sad, I cannot remember even one comedian, save the man I showed you one time about five years ago, remember Michael Jr.? Remember that Christian, the black guy? Uh, besides him, I cannot even remember one comedian that eventually does not take a shot at Jesus Christ. Not one. I'll start listening, they're clean, boom! All of a sudden, religion's on on the cutting block. Next thing you know, they're denouncing Jesus, they're calling us a bunch of Jesus freaks and everything else. And they're funny, and then I have to turn it off. There's a plague in contemporary Christianity that requires surgical precision to attack. Let me use another um, more visual example to help with this up here on the board. Now, this is pretty, this is real. I did not talk, this, this kid actually exists, okay? And no, it's not Scott Grundy. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? Look how big his arms are. There's nothing else. Everything else is just like, you know. (laughs) This person worked, even injected his biceps and triceps with steroids and some kind of a filler to make them huge. And you look at it and you kind of say, what is wrong with that? What's wrong with him? He's completely disproportionate, right? This is analogous to some Christians in this world. Due to the deceitfulness of sin, they are over inflated in some otherwise good areas of their lives. Nothing wrong with having biceps or triceps that are in good shape. But that? That's obscene. So due to the deceitfulness of sin, some Christians are overinflated in some otherwise good areas of their lives, but they are severely atrophied in other areas often the most important areas, beginning with the gospel. Oh, they've got unbelievable supposed love and admiration and emotion for the Lord, but they cling to a watered-down, cheapened gospel. The result is that there are many Christians who are very disproportionate. For example one area of overinflation has been as we've been discussing in music ministry while it certainly or it is a certainly a, can be a healthy form of worship what the spirit's been saying is that it is designed to be a show of gratitude an expression to the lord music in the bible is described as a form of worship to the Lord. I love the analogy Scott gave on Tuesday using the ladies as an example. He said, would you rather be sung about or sung to? I'd add the following question, which reveals a greater intimacy, to be sung about or to be sung to? Well, which reveals a greater understanding of you as well, to be sung about or to be sung to? Hmm. If anything, music is something that is expressed. Music is an expression. If you're a bodybuilder, it is equivalent to standing in the mirror and admiring all the good work the Lord has done in you Including the balance and proportionality. I don't know any Holy Scripture that proposes we will necessarily learn from music worship. And I know there are nuances there, but I hope you get what I'm trying to say. I don't know of any Holy Scripture that proposes that we will necessarily learn that that's the mode of music that we learn from music worship, other than obviously to confirm that when God says He will sanctify you, He does. Hence, you're singing to Him. There might have been a time in your life where you weren't singing as unto the Lord. You weren't singing to Him. You weren't worshiping Him. That was something that came with sanctification. For some of you, that's happening right now on the topic of music i don't know assuming it does or it is in fact what i see <clears throat> is that music worship is a variant of one of my favorite passages up here in the board first thessalonians 5 16 to 18 this is what music worship reminds me of if i read about it in the bible rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is god's will for you in christ jesus He wants you to rejoice in singing. Sing to Him. Rejoice in gratitude. Pray is another form of what? Worship. Singing is a form almost of prayer. You could argue that it is a form of prayer. Definitely a form of worship. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. That means in your song. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, music is worship. I, I, I wonder if people even know that anymore. It's certainly not sold as such. It's sold as a form of entertainment to take people and in, 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 in form large ministries and to sell lots of records where people are making now millions of dollars. Christian, the Christian music scene is multi, probably in the billions at this point. It's big business. You know what the Bible says about music? Before there were radio stations? Music is worship. Something that has a definite... You ready? Here's the key phrase. I need you to listen. Music is worship. Something that has a definite direction. A definite direction. Like all worship does. That's the key. Music isn't where we learn the Word of God. It's where we rejoice in its results in sanctifying us. It's where we express our gratitude to the sovereign God of the universe for saving us. It's where we openly celebrate Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not about celebrating our feelings or emotions. That's self-centeredness. In other words, if the point of you listening to so-called Christian music is so that you can be even more self-centered because now your feelings have become your God and you worship and serve your feelings, as long as your feelings are on the high, you keep feeding those things. It doesn't matter if you're worshiping God or not, whatever boosts your mood, so to speak. So that question, this is a question that's been coming back for years now from the pulpit. What are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? Celebration demands a root cause. Otherwise, it is unfounded emotionalism. Demands a root cause. And I use that word demand on purpose. Hear it, figure it out. Celebration demands a root cause. Otherwise, it is unfounded emotionalism. How can we, quote, supposedly celebrate Jesus if we don't know the Word of God? Him. Wouldn't this be nothing more than celebrating for the sake of celebrating? Let me ask you a question. Where's the, first person you, where's the first place you take a person who you're not sure is saved? Christian Woodstock or church? It's amazing how many people think they're going to get somebody to Christ by introducing them to music first. Not the Word of God. Let me get you emotionally juiced up first. And then I'll start talking about Jesus. No, you got it backwards, my friend. What are they going to get emotionally juiced up about? They don't know Jesus yet. And if the whole idea of music worship is to worship Jesus with a direction to Him, and they don't have the hymn nailed down, what are you suggesting to this person? What are you suggesting to yourself? Do you understand what's going on here? This is what the Spirit's saying. A lot of people confused about what music worship is as far as, you know, the Bible is concerned. Not 10th Avenue, No, I don't know why I picked them because I have nothing against them. But not your favorite Christian rock group or whoever that might be, you know, you choose. Um, it's what the Bible has to say. And that's it. What does the Bible have to say about Music, worship, music, ministry. What is its place in Holy Scripture? Wouldn't this be nothing more than celebrating for the sake of celebrating? And what is that? That's to satisfy your emotional desire to feel good. And if you're doing something to satisfy your emotional desire to feel good, you are serving a feeling. You are now laying down your life for an emotion. Does that make sense? That's very dangerous ground. And I would argue the vast majority of Christians, that's exactly what they do, which is why they run around like a bunch of can't even say it. It's why when the hits the fan, most people don't have the Constitution To hold up under pressure. That's what the problem is. (laughs) As Scott mentioned on Tuesday, this has been one of the many subtleties the Spirit has pounced on. I remember not too long ago, I had to teach about those little books called devotionals and people's affinity for them over the Bible. Remember that? And i got a bunch of dagger stares on that one, too. People didn't like that, either. But if you recall, the issue wasn't strictly that all so-called devotionals are inherently bad, though many are. It was that people had supplanted Holy Writ for them. And then the the one that I picked on, it was from some weirdo to start with, But people have supplanted Holy Writ for devotionals. Why? Because you know what devotionals, most of them are meant to do? You ready? You can answer this, can't you? It's to, ooh, get the emotions up. You're sitting on the toilet. You got whatever, how long you spend there. All right, whatever. You got a little page. It's this long. It's not even as long as the Bible. It's this long. And you get jazzed up while you're sitting on the toilet. Woo! What do you think that's meant for? Why don't you take your Bible? So people have this habit of supplanting the value in the object of our worship for other things. Whether it's a devotional and there's emotionalism involved, or it's music and there's emotionalism involved, Do you see a pattern? People want to worship their feelings, which is essentially worshiping themselves. So there's a pattern we must, or we just investigated with music ministry up here on the board. Again, what are we celebrating? Many Christians have supplanted worshiping God with celebrating their feelings regarding Him. Nothing wrong with having feelings for God. hope you see the point by that, by now. But if this is about you and your feelings, and you'll do whatever it takes um, to be jazzed up, to be you know, emotion in an, in another emotional high because tomorrow, you know. Based on history, you're going to be in another emotional low. You know, you have no stability. You're always looking for that emotional high. You always need a tick up. I mean, I need I need music. I need a, a devotional. I need somebody to call me. I need oh, I need something. I need I need this emotional high because I'm about as stable as the open sea. Many Christians have supplanted worshiping God with celebrating their feelings regarding Him. Yes, there's a difference, and it matters. Again, the key word, the direction of one's affections make all the difference towards God versus towards self. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that worshiping God is ever even emotional. It might have emotional things tied to it, but it doesn't have to be. You could be completely stone-faced and worship God properly because you're doing it in spirit, and truth, which is the way we must do it. We saw that passage this past week or so. Again, the direction of one's affections make all the difference towards God versus toward self. The litmus test is a good litmus test for us. What gets excited in you when you turn on Christian music? Your emotions, or your desire to worship the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and might? What gets excited in you? Your emotions, or your desire to worship the Lord with everything you've got? And I know by now some of you back-of-napkin lawyers have already said in your souls, and have already justified certain things. So let me just throw it out there for you as the surgeon that I have to be. Fleshly justification and reasoning. You might hear something like this. Well, even though I might not be genuinely worshiping the Lord when I listen to so-called Christian music, it's the lesser of two evils. I could be listening to a local R&B station. So there. My response... The lesser of two evils is, guess what? Still evil. That's really your response? Well, it's better than 94 HJY? Oh, ain't you just so special? Aren't you the tremendous lawyer? Aren't you just Satan incarnate? It's still evil. If you're worshiping wrong, it's still evil. Up here on the board. Man, I am so hated right now. If you're not going to worship God through so-called Christian music, then here's an idea. You ready? This came up on Tuesday. Turn it off. here's another revelation. I don't even know what the time is. I have to look it up. But maybe a hundred years more ago, there were no, well, there were no cars but there weren't any radios in cars. At some point in our history, there weren't any radios. (laughs) These contemporary issues didn't exist, you see. That's why I have to be a surgeon, because the more complicated things get, the harder it is to ferret out these nuances, because Satan's really smart and he uses all kinds of ways to trip you up and get you back to serving yourself and your own feelings, not God. So here's a, this is true. This is a fair question to ask. I'm not going to worship God through this music channel or something like this. Why don't I just turn it off then? Do you remember what characteristic? Now listen. You might still be saying, I'm not going to do it. So there. And that's between you and the Lord. But here's what I'll say. And this is, this is pretty fresh. Do you remember what characteristic in those Jesus in those in Jesus' periphery he despised just about the most? Do you remember the characteristic? Hated one thing about human beings: hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So, instead of insulting the Holy God of the universe, why not avoid the whole situation and say, "Oh, I don't know? Pray to Him instead? Or talk to Him? Have a conversation with Him? Contemplate Holy Scripture with Him? Maybe a difficult message like some of these have been? Maybe that's what you could do, is turn off the radio and actually enjoy a little fellowship with him. Like an intimate conversation with him. Prayer with him. Time alone with him. Time to contemplate messages like this. Time to ponder your own life. Life is short. Up here on the board distractions, is it possible that you turn on the radio to drown out the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit or to distract you from facing the real music? Is it possible you do that thing? Because God forbid you be alone and it all gets quiet and God the Holy Spirit's like, are you ready now? Nope. (laughs) I got to serve my feelings some more that's my new God my little G this is about emotionalism is it possible that you turn on the radio to drown out the convicting ministry of God the Holy Spirit or to distract you from facing the real music here's what the spirit's getting at quiet time <gasps> can we even spell that in America anymore No, for real. Can we spell quiet time in America anymore? Quiet time is one of the fundamental things that contemporary life has robbed us of. Some of you, if you think back on even today, if you had an opportunity for quiet time, you made it not quiet time by turning on the radio, or the television, or a video game, or the internet, or you, oh my, I don't have my phone with me, oh my goodness, that stupid phone, you finally get a time, you finally get a moment alone with God, you finally get a moment alone with God, and the first thing you do is go to technology, which is just a distraction. Or God forbid, like some of you, you call up your heinous, heretic, awful friends who could care less about Jesus Christ, and you start making plans. Because God forbid you sit still for more than ten minutes in a row and actually fellowship with Him and actually have a real conversation as if you were talking to your Father in Heaven. God forbid, right? I don't know what to do with myself. got to fill my time. Who says you have to fill your time? It's the funniest thing. You fill your schedule up, you complain about not having any time. You finally get a moment, you fill it back up. I say this, fight for quiet time. I know it sounds weird. Fight for it in your life. Fight for it. You have to learn to make time for prayer, worship, and introspection. Did I spell that wrong. It's not introspecion. It's introspection. Got a little Italian up there, huh, Scotty? What do you think of those apples? <laughs> I got carried away. You have to learn to make time for prayer, worship, and introspection. This is not Pastor Ed. This isn't like you're coming to some guru seminar. It's like, make time. Learn to find quiet time. This is biblical. This is the way that Jesus Christ did it. This is the way he instructed his disciples to do it. This is the way anybody that's been successful whatsoever in the spiritual life has done it. They made time for quiet time. They made time for prayer. They made time for worship. Not that emotional garbage stuff that serves your feelings. They made time for introspection, self examination, you know, like the Bible says. It's really, really important. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 14, 22 to 23. Mark 1, 35 to 37. James 4, 8. Psalm 1, 1 to 6. For starters, how about this? Jesus taught his disciples this. Go to Matthew 6:6. 6, 6. Matthew 6:6. 6, 6. We're going to see how important this fight for quiet time is. Some of you don't even know how to be alone. You know, well, whole nother topic. Some of you don't want to be alone because you don't like yourself. Oh, did that sting? Oh, I'm on a roll. It's Thursday night. I don't have to see you for another 3 days. You'll cool down by then. Matthew 6, 6. But you, imagine Jesus, if he sat you down right in front of you, sat, he sat in a chair, he said, sit in that chair right there. And he said, you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door. You get it? Quiet time. Go in your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see? Go into your inner room and close the door behind you for the sake of worship, for the sake of fellowship, and you will be rewarded. Make time. Jesus also took his own advice. Imagine that. Go to uh, Matthew 14, 22. Matthew 14.22, it's not like he just said, you know, do as I say, not as I do. He was the master at making time for worship, for fellowship, for prayer. Matthew 14.22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. That means he was there for a long time. Alone. Why? Because that's what counts. Quiet time. Fight for it. He had to send people away. These people would follow him all the time, right? Go. I need time. Some of you lack that skill. You can't even do it to your own desires. Never mind those people in your life. And God forbid, if you're married... Do not suffocate your spouse. I'm tired of seeing that, even in this congregation. Stop being control freaks. Stop suffocating your spouses. It's grotesque. Give them their own stinking time. You don't own them. They were bought and purchased by the Lord. Give them their own time. Jesus had his own time. And you know what he had to do? He had to fight for it. He said, Go away. I need to go this way. You guys go that way. I need to be alone. This is a common theme in the life of Jesus. Go to Mark 135. Mark 135. Even you friends, people don't people suffocate each other. It's grotesque. Stop being selfish lovers. It's really good for people to have quiet time. You should actually tell them, go spend some time alone with the Lord. Go have your time with the Lord. Mark 135. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. It's like, You guys. <laughs> He's like, listen, do you get the hint? I got to get up first thing in the morning. I got to get out of the house while it's still dark so you guys don't follow me and you still find me. I made all that up, but he, that's possible. You know what I'm saying? That's possible, right? He went out to a secluded place and they hunted him down. That sounds like some of you, some of you husbands and wives. Oh my, where is he? I'm checking it. I'm, you know what? When they get home, I'm checking their phone. Oh, my, I got a GPS on their car. They don't even know it. (laughs) So I can hunt them down at the mall. Or at Colt State Park where they're under a tree reading their Bible. Because I'm a maniac. Because I'm insecure. Because I don't have my own faith. Because I got no constitution. Because the issue is I don't have my own faith. Don't do that to other people, please. Please. Found them. There may be times where you say to loved ones, I've got to go be alone for a bit. I I have to go to be alone for a bit. And you friends or spouses, you should say, that's wonderful. You're going to be with the Lord? Yes. That's wonderful. Support it 100%. No questions asked. Why? Go to James 4.8. James 4 8. You need this time. You need this quiet time. You need to draw near to him. You understand? James 4 8. James 4.8. <laughs> Start getting you some tabs, people. James 4.8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Where do you get your stability? From God. What if you're too busy running around like a chicken with your head cut off? You don't draw near to him. You draw near to the things that solve your temporal problems you know, you're one heck of a problem solver. But that's all you do all day long. You don't have any quiet time. All you're doing is problem solving. You don't draw near to God because you're too busy drawing near to your the details of your life. It's impossible to meditate appropriately on God's Word if we're always distracted. That's what the Spirit's trying to say. Go to Psalm one one, Psalm 1, verse 1. This is Amazing because this is the first chapter, the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Psalms, which is a wisdom book, as you know. Packed chock full of wisdom, and look at how it starts off. Psalm 1, verse 1. Come on, this one's easy to find, right? (laughs) Psalm 1, 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation requires focus. It requires quiet time even. Even if it's just a quietness in your soul. Some of you don't have that ability yet. I think that comes with maturity. Maturity. People have a quietness about them, a quietness in their soul, regardless of what's going on around them. That's something that I, bel- I personally believe that the Bible teaches is developed over time. New believers, they just need to go escape. Be alone. Pray. Read your Bible. Put, a, put some time aside. If it has to be regimented, do it. As you grow up, you'll learn the strategies and the abilities. You'll be given the ability to have quiet time and meditate even with more and more distractions, people hunting for you like poor Jesus. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish again I'm trying to encourage you my friends truth be told up here on the board fight please fight for quiet time if you have to revert to that strategy I just mentioned, like a, a newer person in the faith, because it's been a while, then so be it. Put something in that ridiculous, super smartphone of yours as it says, This block of time is for God. Nobody else is in here. No one. I mean, no one. You have to learn to make time for prayer, worship, and introspection. This will never happen. If you're preoccupied with living up to, say, your idols' philosophies, to mix a little more of the Spirit's counsel as of late, if you're preoccupied with living up to your idols' philosophies, what they think you should be doing with your life, what they think your life should look like, what they think that Christianity is all about, you get truly preoccupied with a lot of things that are ungodly, that have nothing to do with the Word of God. We usually justify such errors in our living by claiming a certain, you know, happiness, but I'm happy. But here's my thought on all of that. Authority is vested in holy scripture. The word never says happiness comes through worldly blessings. You might say, but I'm happy because I get to go on vacations. I'm happy because I got a nice home. I'm happy because I got a, a pedigree bald cat that I paid $6,000 for that I've always wanted. I'm happy because I've got a new pair of pumps. I'm happy because I got a new toupee. I'm happy because I got, you name it. Do people even buy toupees anymore? Yeah. John Gardner? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Poor John. The world, (laughs) excuse me, the word never says happiness comes through worldly blessings, even though contemporary Christianity will tell you it does. They literally say that. Do this, do Christianity, and you'll be, quote, happy. You'll be blessed. The most perverted versions of that are called the prosperity gospel, but you get the point. Do Christianity, and you get happiness, and you get on this treadmill, Well, I'm still not really happy. You don't realize you're in the wrong ballpark. I'm still not happy, so I'll work harder. I'm still not happy, I'll work even harder. I'm still not happy. All I'm doing is chasing happiness, but I'm not getting any of it. You know what? The Word never says that's the way that that it works. Here's a parable. A man has a seven-year-old son. Son, whom he adores. This man is the king of the land, but outside of his kingdom he is despised, hated, a marked man. Those outside of his kingdom walls would kill him if given the chance. So here's the question. If he sends his son out beyond the boundaries of his kingdom and the son is wearing his family crest on his chest and big, bold colors. What might the child of this king expect in terms of treatment by those who despise his father? Why, oh why, my friends, do you expect anything different? Why, oh why, would you ever expect anything different? You... (laughs) do you really think that this world and the God of this world is going to promote godly happiness in you? No. It's just going to give you the next carrot so that you chase the next big thing for the next emotional high. And when that depletes, because it always does, because it's nothing more than human exertion, it has another carrot for you. And then another carrot. And then another carrot. There's a whole economy. Look at the, the magazine shelves. That in, that multi-billion dollar business is based on that economy of a new carrot. Every month there's a new carrot. Every month. Every month. Yada, yada, You need this now. You need these kind of clothes. You need these kind of friends. You need this kind of, I don't know, whatever you guys are chasing nowadays. Whatever people chase. Why would you expect anything different from a world that hates your Lord? And then you walk out into that world, and you supposedly represent Him. Why would you expect anything any different? Besides, the Spirit brought up a great point during our review of the Beatitudes up here on the board. I like that this came out. We've seen this in the past. We read Matthew 5 together on Sunday The Greek definition for the word translated blessed means blessed, happiness. And if you remember, we were reading the Beatitudes, it's blessed are those who mourn. (laughs) Blessed are all these things that the world would otherwise deem, hey, that doesn't sound like happiness at all. Blessed are the meek? Blessed are those who seek righteousness. The Greek definition for the word translated blessed means blessed and happiness. Or blessed and happiness. We must think of godly happiness as being, let's call it, in the sphere of fellowship with God. That's where you're happy. That's where you're supposed to be. It's where you were built to be you're born again you've given you've been given brand new faculties to appreciate that space to have affections for the lord god it's where you're supposed to be have you ever felt right about something and it made you happy that's what i'm talking about something that's right all of a sudden there's there's no um there's no more friction there's no more friction. When something's right, there's no more friction. It's like a puzzle piece. It goes right in. There's no, you know, you're not trying to do that thing that, you know, to, it's going to fit. We must think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with God. Quote, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's Ephesians 5.8. Walk as children's children of light. Godly happiness. Oh, I should I should have given you uh, Philippians uh, Psalm thirty seven. I, I think I might have this, but I'm out of time, anyways. Godly happiness is a state of being, not the result of some event in our lives. Go quickly to Philippians four eight. Let me see if I got Psalm thirty seven. I quote Psalm thirty seven up there. I do, but I'm not. I'm running out of time, so I snuck in Philippians four eight. Again, godly happiness is a state of being, not the result of some event in our lives. Godly happiness is a state of being. See, the world tells you that it's always eventful. It's event-driven. Do this, get this, and you get happiness. Do this, and some event happens called happiness, something that's going to make you happy. Godly happiness is a state of being. About living in a state of gratitude. Philippians four eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is this just does this. You ready? It goes like this. Oh, all the distractions, your life, that phone, that internet connection, your work, your maniacal families, your crazy friends, your own sin nature, it just everything just sort of goes whoosh, all the white noise just goes when you read this. Philippians 4, eight. Finally brethren, whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Do you understand that happiness, blessedness is a state of being? This is what true happiness looks like, my friends. It has nothing to do with the events in your life. That's the lie from the world. Do Christianity and become happy. Do this thing Get this thing, and you will be happy. And then you get that thing, and they go, "Oh, sorry, last month we changed it. now it's this thing. Just get the you know, just get Cosmo or G q whatever magazine you're getting. Just get that thing, and we'll we'll tell you through that medium, or watch the television when all you know the new season of such and such oh, you, you know what? Bachelorette is on again, you know. I kind of compared with the last girl, so I felt like a kinship, you know what I mean? I felt desired, you know, almost like living vicariously through that woman. But this season, man, she looks totally different. I gotta get a new haircut, I gotta get new clothes, I gotta live vicariously through some other woman now. And then the next season, it's this one. Man, I really wish all these men would court me like that. Wake up wake the hell up. Men? Isn't it like a bachelor too? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, what, what, First of all, it's a mockery of marriage. Complete mockery. Am I digressing? Yeah? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You want to understand what true happiness looks like? There you go. I know, verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Up here on the board again, I'll close with this, I guess. I'm out of time. It's a reference to the Beatitudes, but the principle is in there. The Greek definition for the word translated blessed means blessed happiness we must think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with god walk as children of light in the sphere of that's very different than an event driven life when you think that there's a formula for happiness you know what it is i have it in my notes it's let's see five letters grace that's in my notes it'll probably come out on sunday god says you want to know my formula for happiness it's five letters g-r-a-c-e that's my formula and you say wait a minute but i don't do anything in that formula i don't know because every time you try to get involved every time you get on that works program or you get on the treadmill you try to Uh, do christianity so that you can have all this happiness you screw it up royally so just sit back do as i say learn the word of god be humble let me grace you out let me let me bless you out blessing equals what happiness i'm gonna bless you out you're gonna know you're blessed out you're gonna live in gratitude you're gonna live a, a grateful life you're gonna rejoice always you're gonna pray without ceasing Knowing that that makes me happy, that's what this is about. That's how you're going to find peace, contentment, and that thing, that thing that the world is chasing after but never gets called happiness. It's in me. You have access to it right now. And that's what I mean when I say we must think of godly happiness as being in the sphere of fellowship with God. It's a state of being. Let's let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for giving us this ability to study your word, to be set straight on principles such as contentment and happiness. Father, thank you for shedding so much of the garbage that's in our soul. Thank you for shedding light on it. Thank you for delivering us. We ask your blessings as we Take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.